Welcome everybody. Glad you could join us today and thank you for being a part of our church family. And even though we might not be together today, it, we can still share this time together. Now, I hope you're with your family on the couch and that you're sharing a nice cup of tea or coffee and that you're still in your pajamas. So, today we're going to read uh, Mark 8 verse 30 till the end of the chapter and we're going to continue where Matt left off last week. Now, I love reading Mark because Mark is such an interesting gospel. There's no frills on his gospel. It's just the word. He never uses two words when he can use just one. And the interesting thing about this passage is that we find it in both Matthew and in Luke. But they both have shorter accounts of this passage than Mark does. And this tells us something. This means that this was very important to Mark. Mark wanted people to focus on this. And it also marks a turning point in Mark's gospel. It, Jesus literally from here on out turns his face towards Jerusalem and he starts going towards Jerusalem knowing what his end is going to be. Now, last week, Matt shared about Peter's revelation uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And right after this, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone. Like, they just found out that Jesus is the Messiah and he tells them, okay, now be quiet. And this is really important. And Jesus knew this wasn't his time yet. Jesus knows exactly what time it needs to happen and who should know. This is the same reason he told the demons not to tell anyone that he was the Christ because it wasn't yet time. So Jesus tells them uh, right after this revelation that he is going to suffer many things, that he will be rejected by the elders, the chiefs, uh, the, the chief uh, priests and the scribes. Now, these are the best of the best. These are the people that not only knew the law the best, but also the ones that followed the law the best. And that was a big part of Jewish culture, not just knowing the law, but following the law. Following the law showed that you were a part of the body of God, that you were one of the followers of God's rules and regulations because that's what they had turned it into, into this list of do's and don't. So Jesus tells them, the people that knows the scriptures the best are going to reject me. And to put it in an equivalent, that would be like the best Christians that we know today coming to sit out and saying that uh, they don't believe Jesus is their Christ anymore. That Jesus isn't their savior anymore. And so this would have been a big deal for the, dis the disciples. He also tells them that he will be killed and then raised in three days. And I love that Mark says he taught them this plainly. He explains his mission. So not only does he tell them this, he doesn't use parables. He doesn't use uh, metaphors. He tells them exactly what is going to happen and the disciples must have been finally okay he is making sense now he is just telling us the way things are but then we have peter 
Peter comes into the show and he takes Jesus aside. I love that he doesn't uh, talk to Jesus in front of the other disciples, but he takes him aside and he rebukes him. He takes the Son of God aside and he rebukes him. Now, the reason he did this was he was a good Jew. There was no expectation that the Messiah would have to suffer. There was no expectation that the Messiah would have to die. They always expected that the Messiah would come and save them. And here this Messiah is telling them he is going to be killed. So Jesus, Peter tells them, Jesus, you are not going to die. And then... Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt talking to Peter that, or hearing Peter talk that way? Now, the other thing is that not only was there no expectation that the Messiah would uh, not die, there is a curse in Jewish law on anyone who dies on a cross. So this is also a big stumbling block for a lot of Jewish believers to come to Christ because according to the law, Jesus is cursed, and we believe that too. He is cursed for our sakes, and we'll get to that. But Jesus' response is just incredible and harsh. If he talked to us this way, it would hurt us deeply. Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. The Son of God comes to you and says to you, get behind me, Satan. That would be a very uncomfortable truth to hear. And this is the same Peter that just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior. And in Matthew, we read that this is the rock that God is going to build his church on. So to go from that, that just amazing spiritual high to being told, get behind me, Satan, must have been a terrible blow for Peter's ego. And Peter's got a bit of a foot and mouth disease because he constantly puts himself in difficult situations. But he's also the one that steps out. So I love Peter. He is the one that gets out of the boat. And yes, he is the one that also almost drowns. But Jesus saves him. And yet Jesus saves him as well. So Jesus tells him, get behind me. Peter was Jesus' disciple. A disciple's place is behind him. His teacher. That's literally what disciple means. Disciple means follower. And when we're disciples of Jesus, we're disciples of Christ. And we're followers of Christ. So when Jesus is telling Peter, get behind me, Satan, he's telling him, Peter, you cannot lead me. Peter, you are not the one in charge here. I am. You have to follow me. And not only is Peter called, but we're called to the same place as well. We're called to not be leaders of Jesus. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. 
my daughter learned the phrase line leader at her daycare. And constantly, whenever we go somewhere, she wants to be the line leader. Until she doesn't know where to go anymore. Then she quickly asks mommy or daddy, will you please be the line leader? We don't know the way. We don't know where to go. The easiest thing for us is to ask Jesus to lead us. Now, this is also where Jesus then calls in all the other disciples. And they all needed to understand this. He knew he can't just let this go. If Peter misunderstood this, someone else might have misunderstood this as well. I don't know if you've ever, during an exam, had your teacher standing and looking at your paper and then while they're looking at your paper call out to the rest of the class everyone make sure you read question seven correctly and thoroughly and make sure you understand it (laughs) when you hear that you know you didn't understand question seven correctly and you need to reread the question he calls the disciples he wants to make sure Everyone gets this and he lays down what it means to be a disciple. And he tells them two things. You have deny yourself, your desires, and you have to take up your cross. Now, this is not only following, but also taking up your cross. And in that time, if you took up your cross... They nailed you to that thing. You died on the cross. And Jesus tells them very clearly that this is what's going to happen. And it's not just about self-denial. It's about letting go of self-determination, thinking that you're in control and you know what to do. And it replaces this with the attitude of obedience and dependence on Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what we need all the time. He knows the desires of our hearts before we speak it. But he tells us to rather put our trust in him and on him than in our own abilities. But Jesus doesn't only demand this from us, he also demanded it from himself. He never asked us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. And he showed us the way. He said to his father, not my will, but yours. He laid down his will for God's greater good. And because of that, we get to sit here today. Because of that, the church is this healthy, thriving, living thing that even though the country is shut down, cannot be stopped. We are still loving each other. We are still caring for each other. We are called to confess Jesus courageously and outrageously he is our king and we are his followers and today we remember 
where this story ends. We remember that Jesus died on a cross for us. He died because of us and because he loves us. His body was bruised and his blood was spilt. And he set up a remembrance for that. He asked us to take the wine and to take the bread and to remember him when we do this. And I want you to share with us now in communion. Jesus, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your glory and your kindness. Thank you that you are with us no matter what. And God, I thank you for dying on a cross all those years ago. And mostly I thank you for being raised from the dead so that your death was not in vain. There is no empty tomb we can there's no tomb we can go to because it is just an empty tomb. It's just a hole in the ground. Our God is not dead. Jesus, thank you for living and thank you for loving us. In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. Hope you have a lovely day further and be safe out there. Amen.